What does God think about me? What does God think about me? It's a question that kind of follows us around. Uh, I think sometimes we don't even realize we're wondering about that. Uh, But later we might discover we've kind of been living in fear or insecurity about where we stand with God. Um, We might even sort of intellectually affirm that God loves us because, well, the Bible says that and Jesus said he loves us. And so, you know, I, um, I believe God loves me because it says it in Scripture. Uh, and it's, it's possible to affirm that while still kind of in your heart wondering how God feels about you. I have a continuum that I'm going to put up here on the screen um, of kind of how God views us. How does he respond to us? And so on the left side, starting on the left, we have God rejects me. He tolerates me. He accepts me. That's kind of neutral there in the middle. He invites me, a little warmer, and he welcomes me. I want you to think about your life for a moment. And if, if you had to pick one of these that summarizes how you think God feels about you, which would it be? And I want you to be, really be honest with yourself. Um, it's not about what you think is the right answer uh, or what the biblical answer is. It's about how you honestly feel. Because if I had to guess, uh, I would say many of us would fall in the range of accepts, you know, maybe tolerates, and then sometimes feel like maybe even rejects. And, and again, you might affirm the Bible says, God invites me, he welcomes me, I know what the gospel is. But the way you feel deep down sometimes is that you're not really sure. You might think to yourself, I want to believe that God accepts me or welcomes me, but I think he might just be tolerating me um, or maybe even rejecting me based on sinful choices I've made or things that I think have, have failed him. If you have felt that way, it's okay to admit it to yourself. Um, in fact, I would say it's good to admit it because it puts you on the path to honestly explore and discover how God actually feels about you. Um, Now, the correct answer, the biblical answer, is all the way to the right. Through Christ, God welcomes us fully, joyfully, unreservedly, not just into his neighborhood, not just into his presence, but as family. This is what the New Testament teaches. This is what Jesus said. In fact, he gave his life to prove that he meant what he said. But when we go through hardship, um, it's easy to not feel that way. When things are unexpected or painful or we lose a loved one or we lose a job or we struggle financially or we grapple with depression or illness, whatever it might be, our assumptions tend to drift toward the left. Have you ever experienced that? Which must just break God's heart. Because it is in our darkest times that he wants us to know more than ever how much he loves us and how present he is with us. So today, I want to explore a part of the Christmas narrative that I think speaks directly to this issue of what God thinks of us. Um, And I think we will discover that his love breaks through our flimsy expectations of him. So turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 2. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. If you're unfamiliar with the layout of Scripture, Gospel of Matthew, um, 
and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. The story of Jesus' birth, the Christmas narrative, is kind of divided between the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we meet this group of people uh, called the Magi. Uh, the, the wise men, sometimes they're called. And so that's who we're going to focus on today uh, is, is the Magi. Um, starting in verse 1, Matthew 2, 1, it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, if you're taking notes, highlight Magi from the east. Who were they? Uh, To understand that, we have to dispense with some pop culture notions. Uh, There were not three of them, and they were not kings. Uh, Well, there may have been three. All we know is there was more than one. Magi actually was a very specific term in the ancient world, um, known from many sources outside of the Bible. Uh, It meant something very specific. The Magi were probably from Babylon, which is near modern Baghdad, Mesopotamia, um, to the east of Israel. The Magi were both astronomers and astrologers. And the Babylonians were, were famous for their scientific knowledge of how the stars and planets moved through the sky. In fact, their discoveries even influenced the Greeks and the Romans. Um, For example, here's a picture of an ancient Babylonian tablet describing Halley's Comet when it appeared in the sky about a century and a half before Jesus' life. Um, And so the Magi were from that part of the world that that was known to be very um, gifted and knowledgeable about astronomy. And so the Magi we meet in Jesus' story, though, they weren't just astronomers or scientists. They were astrologers, too. They looked to the stars, the planets, the various celestial bodies to tell them something meaningful about their life. Um, One historian put it this way. uh, Their lives were dedicated to gleaning from the heavens insights concerning human affairs. They were convinced a person's fate was encoded in the heavens at the point of birth. Um, So I think a really important point for us to understand is that the Magi were very different from the Jewish people. Uh, They spoke a different language. They dressed differently. They ate different foods. They were of a different religious tradition. They were from a part of the world that had dominated the Jews militarily for centuries. And by the way, astrology was forbidden by God in the Old Testament. One example of those scriptures is Jeremiah 10, in which God says this, do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the heavens, though the nations are terrified by them, for the practices of the peoples are worthless. God was warning Israel, don't fall into the trap of astrology. It's not true. It's not real. It will lead you away from me. But the Magi, they spent their whole lives looking up, looking for truth in the sky. Um, So in addition to being culturally different from the Jews, they would have been viewed by the Jews as sinners, as outsiders who were sinful, not the types of people who would be welcomed by God or invited into relationship with him. In modern terms, they were like palm readers, astrologers, tarot card readers, people who dabble in magic, witchcraft, and the like. That's who the Magi were. God's people, the Jews, would have put them on the far left side of that continuum I talked about earlier, rejected by God. And yet, 
these magi traveled over 500 miles across the desert, probably over two months, to Jerusalem. Now, there was no reason for them to be wanted by God's people, but as we'll see, they were wanted by God. Why did they make this journey? They tell us in the text of Matthew. Um, highlight this if you're taking notes. Uh, we saw his star when it rose. We saw his star when it rose. Um, so these astronomers, these astrologers, the Magi, saw something in the sky that meant something to them. Uh, what was it that they saw? There's a lot of discussion and debate about that. We'll come back to that in a moment. But we know why they might have associated the appearance of something in the sky with the birth of a king in Israel. Because centuries earlier, we see this in the Old Testament, God used a prophet to talk about the fact that a star would be associated with the Messiah's arrival. And here's what's really interesting. The prophet God used centuries earlier was also from Babylon. He was also an outsider. This prophet's name was Balaam. In Numbers 24, we read what he said. Again, this is centuries before the Magi. This prophet said, I see him now. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Um, So this is this ancient prophecy about a star heralding the arrival of the Messiah. Now, the Magi in Jesus's time would have known this scripture because there were lots of Jews who lived in Babylon. And and the Magi took special interest in religious texts, especially when they talked about the heavens. And so they would have known this. And so the Magi see something in the sky that's unusual and, and they connect it to this text, this prophecy from Numbers, and they begin their journey westward. And they're thinking this might be this king. And their intentions are clear from the journey. It's actually pretty remarkable. In Matthew, it says they went to worship him. Highlight that if you're taking notes. Worship him, not study him, not observe him. Worship him. To worship him, to give him the reverence he is due. So these non-Jewish, sinful, outsider astrologers undertake a two-month journey across the desert to worship. And they arrive, and King Herod gets wind of this, of what they're asking about. And um, let's keep reading, verse 3. When King Herod heard this about the Magi and what they were exploring, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, if you're taking notes, circle Herod. Um, He was the king at the time, um, really a kind of a local ruler. He was still under the authority of Rome. Uh, but he had all kind of the power in the, in the vicinity of Jerusalem. And um, he was disturbed to hear about the possible arrival of the Messiah, the king of the Jews. Now, what's interesting about Herod is we know a lot about Herod from outside the Bible. We don't only know Herod from the scriptures. There are ancient historians from the first century who tell us a lot about King Herod. And he was um, a madman. He was paranoid. He was violent. By this time... Of the Magi's arrival, Herod had already murdered 
one of his wives and several of his children because he thought they were plotting to take his throne. Um, so anybody who knew anything about Herod would not be surprised that he is very paranoid about the possible arrival of a king of the Jews. He's the king of the Jews, he thinks. Um, so he's paranoid, and, and he consults with his own experts, right? Highlight this group, the chief priests and teachers of the law. These are biblical scholars, religious authorities, and they cite the Old Testament that had predicted the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So Herod hears this, and he, he, his propaganda machine rolls into action. Let's keep reading verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi and secret, uh, secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Herod, the king of the Jews at the time, has no intention of worshiping the Messiah if in fact he's been born. Um, And he asks them, you know, tell me about when this star appeared. Uh, That seems to indicate, most biblical scholars come to this conclusion, that whatever was in the sky wasn't like just a figment of the Magi's imagination. It was up there, and Herod's asking about it. Okay, when did this thing first appear? He wasn't paying attention. He wasn't tracking this the way that they had been. Um, Let's keep reading. Verse 9. After they heard the king, they, that's the Magi, went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So they're in Jerusalem, they're meeting with Herod, and the star reappears in the narrative, right? They're, they're heading toward Bethlehem. They know where to go now. And highlight this... Um, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So you, you have to imagine with me, it's, it's probably dusk. They're heading from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which is a few miles away. And the stars are starting to come out. You know, the daylight is fading. And so whatever it was in the sky they've been following for two months is starting to show up because it's nighttime and they're excited to see it again. The journey is ending. We, we're finally here. And um, it says, highlight this, the star stopped over the place where the child was. The star stopped over the place where the child was. Now, it's interesting, in in Greek, the original language that Matthew was written in, it it actually says the star stood over the place where the child was. Uh, It stood up um, over the place. And uh, many biblical scholars have sort of wondered about what this means. Is this just some kind of miraculous light that they've been following, or is it actually something out in space that they're seeing? Um, I want just disclaimer. I want to get into the weeds for like two minutes with you about this. Okay. Because, and talk about what this might've been that they were following, because I think it really matters because it, it, it helps us to understand how far God went to connect with these outsiders, these astrologers. So hang with me for a couple of minutes. The best theory available in my view um, that takes into account what, what um, biblical scholars and also astronomers, people who, who spend their lives studying space and, and planetary bodies and those sorts of things, um, the best theory that's out there that is accepted by the most people is that this was a comet. Um, because a star or a planet wouldn't really, 
behave in this way. Um, there's actually a recently published volume uh, that's wonderful. It's called um, The Great Christ Comet. And it's written by uh, a scholar from Cambridge, biblical scholar, um, and he actually collaborated on this project with the world's foremost expert in comets, um, an astronomer, and uh, who actually wrote the foreword to the book. And they make a very compelling case that this was a comet that the Magi saw. And um, it's interesting, um, part of their case has to do with what they read in other parts of the Bible that are relevant Uh, So Revelation 12, for example, is relevant to this discussion because in Revelation 12, we read something that would have very much spoken to an astrologer, uh, someone who is a magi, because in Revelation 12, it's an image of a virgin woman in the sky as a constellation giving birth to a son. So let me read just a couple verses from Revelation 12. It says this, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Now, when we, with Christian lenses, hear about virgin woman giving birth, we think of Mary, right? Of course we would. But If you are a first century Babylonian magi, you don't think about Mary. You've never heard of Mary. You've never met Mary. And so what would they have thought about when they think virgin woman in the sky constellation? They would have thought not about Mary. They would have thought about the constellation Virgo, which was a virgin woman in the sky. And believe it or not, like Revelation says, crown of 12 stars, there are 12 stars that form a crown to the virgin woman, the constellation Virgo. And so what some biblical scholars have concluded from Revelation and Matthew is that it's a Christmas scene in the sky, which may mean that what the Magi saw in the sky was a comet appearing to grow in the womb of the constellation Virgo, that they were seeing in the sky what they would then see on the ground in Bethlehem. And so as they approached Bethlehem, the star, it says, stood over the place where Jesus was. This is more reason to believe this is a comet because when large comets approach the horizon, they appear to stand upright. Here's some paintings from centuries ago when people observed these great comets. Check this out. And these are not like meteors. like They would have looked like that for weeks. They would have just, just standing upright like that from, from the sky. And by the way, these paintings are not exaggerations. Here's a photograph of the comet Lovejoy from the International Space Station. That's what they look like. And so you can imagine the Magi approaching Bethlehem. They're looking at the horizon. There's homes there. And they've, they've been led by this thing westward toward Jerusalem. And this might have been kind of what, that's that same comet Lovejoy. That might be what they have seen is this comet standing up, pointing down literally, here's the house. And if all this is true, which, again, I think is the most plausible explanation from all angles of what was going on here, do you see what God might have been doing for the Magi? He was speaking their language. He was using his creation, his 
stars, a comet perhaps, to reach them. Astrology, as God said, was nonsense, but maybe on one occasion he used the stars, the heavens, to tell them the truth. And that would tell them and us how much he loved them. He was calling to them in ways that they would hear. So after the journey, they arrive and they greet the newborn Christ and they lavish him with these expensive gifts. Highlight this if you're taking notes. They worshiped him. So that was their plan in the beginning and then they did it. They worshiped him. And then afterwards, it says, uh, highlight this, they, they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. So I want to step back for a moment as we kind of wrap up here. There are some aspects to this I want to make sure that we don't miss, especially as we think about the first question that we, we considered, how does God feel about me? Here are these pagan astrologers. They are not Jews. They are not God's people. Their whole line of work is considered sinful by the Old Testament, by God's people, and yet God spoke to them in several meaningful ways that are surprising to us. In fact, There's three ways that he spoke to the Magi. The star, the prophecy in Scripture, and the dream. God gave them a dream, warmed them in a dream. And this tells us that God was drawing the Magi to himself. This is not an apathetic God. This is not a cynical God, a disengaged God. This is a God who went to great lengths to draw people far away from him to himself. Does this sound like a God who wants to reject people? It does not. He wants to draw people in. Notice the contrast as well. Herod is the actual king of Israel. He has no intention of worshiping the Messiah. But these astrologers, these outsiders from the east, they came and worshiped. And I I think all of this tells us something very important about who God is. I don't want you to miss this, so I'm going to put it up on the screen. God's love is not held back by the things we think make us outsiders. God's love is not held back by the things we think make us outsiders, whatever that might be. And by the way, this moment of of the Magi, their journey, God speaking to them in the several ways that he did, being there uh, around Jesus' birth, that moment foreshadows many things that we saw in Jesus's life and ministry. He reached out, Jesus did, to people from all different backgrounds, ordinary people, famous people, the publicly pious and the conspicuously sinful. And Jesus was accused of being too cozy with sinners and outsiders. Think of the Samaritan woman at the well. Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Think about the tax collectors who were hated by their fellow Jews for being opportunists and taking advantage of them financially. Think of the lepers who literally nobody would touch or even get close to. And Jesus spoke to them and touched them and loved them and welcomed them. And just like the Magi worshipped the child God, but the Jewish king wouldn't, Jesus was followed by many people who were considered sinners, but the religious authorities of his day rejected him. So we see in the story of the Magi so many elements that we see resonate later in Jesus' ministry and his life. God loved the Magi. They weren't props to him in a nativity scene that he was putting together. They were people who he loved. No one would have thought they were on God's radar. 
But he spoke to them through the scripture. He spoke to them through what they saw in the sky, whether it was a comet or something else. He spoke to them in a dream. His hand was on their life. They were invited to the table. And this tells us a lot about who God is. Through Christ, God welcomes all. Regardless of how we feel, that is true. We can rest assured in our relationship with God because of Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing about this. Remember the continuum I put up at the beginning? There's actually another point on that line we should add to the far right. He doesn't just welcome us, he seeks us. He seeks us. He doesn't just wait for us to come around. He makes the first move. That is what we celebrate at Christmas, is Jesus' proactive rescue mission. He perpetually calls us to himself, but he doesn't just say, yeah, I'm around, you know, come around if you want to. He comes after us. In fact, when Jesus summarized his own mission in Luke 19.10, he put it this way, I came to seek and save the lost. Seek. Not just invite, not merely welcome. I came to seek you out. He comes after us. He breaks down the barriers. He knows everything about you. He knows every embarrassing, sinful action and thought you've ever had or ever will do or think. And he is still crazy about you. And maybe like the Magi, he's been trying to speak to you in a way that you would understand. Would you be able to hear if he was? Are you listening? I think if we are tempted to wonder how God feels about us, we should remember the Magi. 